Welcome to I'm So Obsessed, where we talk with actors, artists, and creators about their work, career, and current obsession. I'm your host, Patrick Holland, and you know today's guest from such films as Into the Wild, Speed Racer, Milk, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and many others. It's the wonderful Emile Hirsch. His latest film is the horror movie slash thriller, Son. It's about a mother trying to protect her son from being kidnapped by a cult. The film is as smart and thrilling as it is unsettling. Emile is also a singer-songwriter, and we discuss his 2019 album, Mnemonic, and the mysterious Frenchman who is his collaborator. This interview was recorded over the internet with Emile in L.A. and myself in South Carolina, so please forgive any audio weirdness. Emil, uh, first of all, I'm so like darn excited to talk with you. Um, I've been such a big fan of your work over the years uh, through your movies and TV shows uh, and your music, which I hope we get to talk about a little bit of that too. But I just want to start specifically with the film Sun. How do you describe it? Um, well, first off, it's it's great to be here, Patrick. I really appreciate it. And uh, here, here to talk about Sun. Sun is... The second movie that I've made with this director, Ivan Kavanaugh, who's this kind of Irish, dour, kind of obsessive wild man. Um, and, he, and he really kind of has a flair for, for horror and kind of a dark kind of taste. And Son is about uh, a mother and her son. And the kind of, it sort of explores, is she crazy? Are people trying to kidnap her son? Did she used to be in a cult? Uh, is this cult coming after her? And and it sort of plays with the the psychology of 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 where she's at, and you don't really know one way or the other until the story kind of resolves itself. And I play this character named Detective Paul Tate, who is kind of like a, your your sort of average detective. He's just a nice guy. He's sort of kind of wishy-washy and he, he kind of appears to be in way over his head dealing with um you know cults and things you, you get the feeling that he's he's used to like an episode of like cops you know showing up and finding the body or something and that's about it he, he's not he's not used to like satanic cults and things like that coming after him um but it was it was fun and there was a lot there's a lot of kind of cat and mouse and there's some twists and turns to it but uh, it, I feel like Ivan's good at kind of building suspense. And he's just a he's a very meticulous kind of craftsman, um, you know, and, and, it, and it, he's a world builder. And I think one of the things I liked about working with him on this film and also the Western Never Grow Old that we made with John Cusack is he just he kind of inhabits the world. And, and, and like even even like all every performance and you know, even no matter how small the part, even if someone's in one scene, like he really, he really kind of gets uh, interesting work out of his actors. And, and I really like that about him. It, there is obviously a, a mystery element in Sun as much as it is a horror movie. And your character is kind of the one that kind of steers us back into what's really happening, I think it's fair to say. But I wonder, as, as an actor, how do you play a scene, uh, especially in some of those early scenes, where you talk about your character being like maybe a little naive or in over his head, how do you play that without knowing, okay, at the end, this is what, how it actually turns out. I think it's just, uh, you know, not, not necessarily overthinking it and, you know, whatever the character's objective is within a given scene, just play that, you know? And, 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 and I think one of the reasons why, you know, character at times is sort of, 
he's almost kind of simple or he, he's almost just very, he's almost just there sometimes. Um, and I think in a way it's almost like a, almost like an alligator pretending to be a log or something like that. You know, there's a certain, there's a certain, like, there's a certain amount of deception that a lot of the characters have with each other and in, in kind of the, the journey of the film. So it was, it was a unique balance where, you know, you don't, you don't want to overplay or underplay. You want to just kind of strike that right chord. I do know. And I feel like out of, not that this is a, a litmus test for a successful film, but out of all the characters, you're their character. Uh, your character's the one I'd want to hang out with because he just seems kind of laid back and chill and you could have a conversation with him and he's going to be supportive of you, you know? <laughs> yeah. Very, very supportive detective. And there's a scene in particular I, I wanted to just ask you about, and but it's a phone call between you and the character, Laura, who's the main character. Um, and you're trying to convince her to do something. Uh, and I'm curious, again, how do you approach uh, a scene of that intensity? And you talked about playing objective earlier. Is that, is that what's driving the emotion? Where does that all come from? I think it's more like, how can he come across the most convincing to get her to turn herself in, you know, and, and, and to do what he wants. And so it's just kind of playing that. And, you know, I took it, I, I sort of played him from the perspective of, you know, he is, he is, you know, a nice guy who's fanatically committed to his job. You know, he's like completely devoted to his job and his job is to take care of her and, 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 and protect the boy and then and then i was like okay well i'll just do anything <laughs> um this is uh, there's been so many interesting movies coming out during the pandemic times and i'm curious uh what do you uh hope the audiences take away from this movie or, or what do you think uh is a, a reason that people should see this movie right now i think there's always an audience for horror and there's always an audience for like scary films and if you like those types of movies you're gonna want to see them you know pandemic or no pandemic it's just like a certain kind of like vibe of like man this scared the crap out of me you know and, and that's just it's just kind of it i really like movies like the exorcist and rosemary's baby and i feel like this movie is kind of like in that in that kind of world of, of film you know yeah it also reminded me a little bit of like the omen around that same time too oh like yeah Damian. yeah yeah well you mentioned some horror movies that uh uh, you're a fan of that or that reminded you a little bit of this film and I guess there is a, a large mystery aspect to that and I'm wondering what uh, films or TV shows that were mysteries maybe growing up or that you're just big or that you're just a big fan of and you know I used to watch a lot of like masterpiece theater believe it or not with my mom I like love that and I love like I, lo I like Sherlock Holmes the novels I, I like love Sherlock Holmes um yeah, mystery is, is 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 great. I remember I was obsessed with Clue, the the Tim Curry movie when I was a kid. I like watched that over and over. Yeah, press. I love the Prestige. That was great. That's kind of a mystery, but I love that movie. I just recently rewatched that. It's uh, an amazing mystery. <laughs> it's so it's so good. It's so good. And I can relate to watching the um, um, uh, masterpiece theater uh, with my mom as well. And you hear, especially the mystery ones, they'd have that there is a little bit of blood in this film <laughs> and what was that like being on set uh especially with some of the uh aftermath uh that another character leaves behind yeah i mean it was kind of gross you know it was <laughs> like i mean it was kind of 
I remember I did this one scene um, where me and this actor Cranston, we go into this like decrepit old house and we find this guy's body. Um, this actor, a really good actor, and uh, this guy Blaine May, who's great in the movie, and he's like contorted and it's like so gory and you know and he, he's like naked i mean it was like it was so brutal and i remember on the first take i walk in and i hadn't really seen like how they had placed him and i kind of sort of i guess they sort of have a dark sense of humor but i walked in and i just couldn't help but laugh <laughs> and like i felt so bad because it's like this like naked actor and he's like literally like like playing dead and i just felt so guilty i'm like oh i'm laughing at this guy this is so bad and he was so good and he, and then we did it again and i didn't i just i was just shocked you know what i mean like it was just such a shot it was like such a ridiculously shocking image it just, just like made me laugh for some reason no and i think watching this film is even just within the first moments there's a lot of shocking images and um, going back to the director a bit, I think there, in lesser hands, this could be a story that that turns like sideways pretty quick. But there's something that just really keeps the you compelled into it, and kind of was driving Laura or, uh, and and you. Yeah, and he's you know Ivan's like a pretty like subtle filmmaker for the most part. Even though there's like shocking stuff, you know the filmmaking is 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 like pretty tight and controlled. That's sort of his his style, I'd say. You know and. And he really leans heavily on the sound design. I haven't worked with a director that like talked about the idea of sound design as much as as much as Ivan. Every movie we do, do, you know, like in post, he talks about the sound design like as much as he talks about the edit. You know, that to him <laughs> is like fifty percent of the film. It's it's pretty amazing. Like he he really is obsessed with the sound design of his movies. I mean, if you're gonna watch a if you're gonna watch a horror movie, you want the filmmaker to kind of be a little little like be able to get you to a scary place so Emil, the name of this podcast is i'm so obsessed what are you currently obsessed with um well i've i've currently been obsessed with like finishing this album that i've i've made so i i have a like side music hustle it's not really a hustle because we don't make any money and we've only sold like literally 50 copies of our first album i'm like not even kidding our first album was called mnemonic and it's just me and this french dude who we call the frenchman his name is actually matthew caratier but we just i just call him the frenchman we make like electronic or like synth wave vapor wave kind of music uh or like british pop um like kind of nostalgic like 80s sort of throwback music that's a little bit more like electro influenced. So, you know, we, we put out our first album like a year and a half ago, like October 2019. And then since then, we've spent the past like year and a half working on the second one. And the second album is called uh, Denialism and it comes out um, March 12th. And uh, there's like 14 tracks on it. And it's pretty cool. It's like it's 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 a cool counterpart to the first record. And, I, you know, I write the songs and I sing them and and the Frenchman makes the music and I work with him a lot and we kind of design them together. And it's pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty rad. It's pretty cool. I mean, it's amazing. Like how I'm like, so into it. We don't have a record label and we don't have like, uh, you know, like any budget, like it's literally me and this dude making it on a laptop, like in his living room. 
but <laughs> you can do so much now with a laptop and a mic and, and, and like a, a keyboard. So like the stuff sounds pretty cool. And we've been really fortunate to where like some of the higher ups at Spotify, um, like the editorial section have like kind of dug a lot of our songs. So we've actually been included on some pretty like pretty major hard to get on playlists that are it's kind of crazy. It's pretty cool, actually. Well, I say I have listened to this album and uh, I think of like a song like um, Lost Highway and there's this almost David Bowie, David Bowie vibe to it. And yeah, and it is uh, I I have a few questions about the album. Uh, And first of all, like, where did that album come from for you? And as far as this new one, is it just because that came out right before the pandemic and then kind of things stopped? Or is it, hey, that was fun. Let's do more. How did that happen? Well, like we finished the album and I think um, we released Mnemonic and we we felt like good about it, but we like were in such a groove when we finished Mnemonic that it just, we didn't feel like we were done, you know, and there was no like live tour or or like label or like, oh, now you got to go promote it. So we were like, literally (laughs) like finished it in his living room, put it out and then like looked at each other and we're like, well, we're kind of, we're kind of really in our groove now. So why would we stop? And so this one, um, we just we just kind of kept going with it, and so it was a really cool process. So there's like four brand new songs. One one of them um, off of uh, that that we made with Mark Foster of Foster the People, who's like super rock and rad, and it's kind of like a almost like a Marilyn Manson meets Iggy Pop meets Nine Inch Nails kind of song. And and it's been a really good you know because just me and the Frenchman you know in his living room, so it's like. It's a lot easier to like, you know, it's 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 a pandemic friendly activity, you know. It is, yeah. Well, let me ask you this: in the process, is it you're writing the lyrics first, or the Frenchman comes up with some like a beat or some music, and then you react to that? How how is how are the songs created? Um, usually, like when we make them, I will, I will, I will write the melodies for the vocal line first. Usually, like all all. I'll write them and it's usually like a sequence of melodies. And if I, if I, if I think that they sound really good together, just acapella, then I'll like present them to the Frenchman. And then if the Frenchman likes them, then I'll, I'll set the, I'll set it to a BPM and I'll record it to a certain BPM. And then he can take the vocals and the voice memo and then put it on a grid and then start creating the music around it. And that's, that's, pretty much like 95% of all of our songs are made that way. Do you guys ever, uh, I mean, cause we're still live performance is still something that's, you know, not a lot of people are doing, but uh, when there's a chance, uh, would you perform any of it live? Would you and the Frenchman go out to a, a club or something like that? Would you, would you be willing to do that? Or are you guys planning on touring at all? Frenchman is kind of like a very, let's put it mildly idiosyncratic chap. So like he's like I couldn't tell like, from the name. I couldn't tell from the name. <laughs> he's like no, like touring. He sounds like nightmare. Like no, I don't. He's like he's so negative about it. Like he just wants to like make the songs on his computer and just put them out. And I'm like more like well maybe we should like play them live one time or something like that. And I, I so I'm actually probably a little more into the idea. But then he like tries to scare me. He's like, your voice is only sounds good because I melodyne and auto tune. <laughs> and he'll literally be like, if I if you didn't have me, like it would like violate my ears. Like like I'll be I'll like sing, I'll like sing a vocal take, 
and he'll be like smoking a cigarette and like hold it up like all French style and be like, just stop. He'll be like, that was the worst note. I you I'll be like, he'll be like, what do you think you did wrong? And I'm like, I don't know. Did I not get a note right? He'd be like, you got all of the notes wrong. And I'm just like, oh god, dude. So like, I don't know. Like, I may I may need to sing like uh, I may need to see like like a voice therapist afterwards to like convince me that I'm capable of singing live after after being just like so bodied by the Frenchman. But maybe it's like a like being John Malkovich thing where like there's the that the boss character and he's always told no one can understand what he's saying and he speaks perfectly fine. Like everyone's like, no, you sing fine. That Frenchman's just really 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 hard on you yeah it turns out he doesn't speak english that well <laughs> Turn, turns out he can't tour because he's wanted in four states you know <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. uh, so my boss his honest to god one of his favorite films is speed racer which came out 12 years ago and I, he wanted me to ask you this. Um, when you look back at that film and making it, what do you think about it now? I mean, I think it's really cool that it's kind of like found this like this audience that like really loves it. Because, I mean, at the time it was like it was kind of hard because we loved making the film. And it was like a really it was a hard movie to make because of all the green screen. It wasn't easy. Um but it was such an incredible I, I thought it was such an incredible film when it was done that it was it was kind of sad that it, it you know you gotta remember when it came out it got like the worst reviews and it like was like the biggest bomb of the summer so we were kind of bummed you know what i mean like it was like man like i can't believe like this this project didn't really like kind of take off but it was kind of cool because in a weird sense it was like a one-off so it's like this standalone movie now and in a way, I kind of think that it sort of followed the trajectory of the cartoon where the cartoon came out, but it wasn't until like years later that like the like reputation of Speed Racer as like this cultural kind of like cartoon grew. And I think the movies kind of had the same deal. It's kind of it, ironically, the movies sort of in line with what Speed Racer was in that way, where it's kind of become this like underground cool thing. No, I, I, I agree completely. And he... Yeah, he he said I should let you know that he thinks it holds up so well, especially nowadays. Yeah, I mean the Wachowskis are just—they're so talented, and you know, it was the movie that they made right after the Matrix, and they just—they went in a completely different direction, and they just really—they went for it. And uh, and I think for the time, I think the movie was probably like graphically super advanced for what people were used to. You know, it was like it was almost like slightly ahead of its time. I think if it came out now, people wouldn't be like as shocked as they were. But I think it was like one of those things where it's, you know, you show a bunch of apes like a car and they're like, oh, 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 and they just like destroy the thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> I totally know what you mean. Um, well, you mentioned the Wachowskis and you've worked with some of the best filmmakers of all time, including them. Oliver Stone, Gus Van Zandt, Quentin Tarantino, Sean Penn, and they're all very different people and artists, but as someone who's worked on a lot of films and TV shows, is there something they all do or something most of them do that other filmmakers could learn from? It's hard when they're that different because it's like they all have slightly different techniques and, and, and sometimes actually 
one of the one of the biggest challenges of working with great directors is just being able to keep yourself calm as an actor because it's really easy to get nervous when you're working with these like legendary dudes and you know when you're acting ideally you're going to be like calm because if you're calm you're going to be like way more in the zone and way more comfortable and you're just going to be better so i think some of these really great directors are good at almost like disarming you by being so chill even though they're like these legends and then they make you feel really comfortable and then they like get the performance out of you that they want as opposed to like them being like super gnarly and like just sketching you out or something you know well and, and um uh kind of building on one of them sean penn you guys did uh did uh the amazing movie into the wild and last year um after two hikers had died and 15 others needed to be rescued um trying to get to the actual magic bus the bus was actually airlifted from its spot and um your performance as chris in that movie is so meaningful to so many people um first i want to ask what do you think about when you hear about that bus being moved i was fine with it you know i mean a lot of people were really upset but i was like the bus is very symbolic and and i i get that like people were kind of upset but i also think that it they're going to move it. They were going to move it into a place which would be like a little bit more accessible to people that maybe wanted to see it and wanted to like kind of appreciate that. And so I thought that was cool. It, it seems like out of all the roles you played, though, th- this specific role just has connected to so many different people. Why do you think that is? And uh, do people still come up to you today talking about uh, Into the Wild? Um. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely it's definitely the film that I've done that like, you know, the people that love it, like love it like a religion or something. I mean, it's like a really like impactful uh, film for them. You know, people had similar reactions to the book, you know, as well, which by John Krakauer, which was so well-written and so uh, well done. And I think that, you know, there's, there's like an inner adventurer in everybody and, and the film and, and Chris McCandless and what he kind of stood for. It taps into a lot of that, but it doesn't just tap into it in like a, like a, a naive way or there's like there's no cost to adventure you know the guy pays the ultimate price so it's kind of like it shows you the wonder but then it also shows you the risk on the other side which in a weird way makes it that much more thrilling you know when the risk is there i mean if you look at like people don't climb like k2 because like there's no danger you know what i mean like there's a certain amount of danger involved in, in a lot of these kind of extreme activities um, I think it just sort of taps into that. There's like a certain amount of fear and like a certain amount of like overcoming that fear in a way. But I think that the film kind of like, you know, it has a great message at the end. Maybe I can learn from like others' mistakes. Um, so before uh, we wrap up, I'd like to do a thing called Pick One, where I give you a couple options and you pick one. All right, so the first one is TV or film? Pick one. Film for me, just because I watch a lot more film than TV. And what kind of films are like? do you watch in your own time? Where, where are like, your go-to kinds of films? Or, um, or lately, I've kind of just been trying to watch. Uh, I watched a lot of Alfred Hitchcock movies over the summer. I like hadn't seen very many of them, so I tried to like watch all the classics and rope and strangers on a train and vertigo and psycho and like all these cool ones rear window that i that i just you know i'd seen rear window a long time ago and seen psycho but i hadn't seen him in a while and i i love rope too because it's it's kind of it's 
to talk about being ahead of his time, even though it, you can see kind of the cuts, it's kind of done as a one take, you know? Yeah. Rope is like, kind of, I mean, rope is really good. And the actors are just sensational. In it. All right. The next one I have is Santa Fe or LA pick one. Um, I go LA. I love Santa Fe. Um, but I live in LA and there's just like, you know, LA is like a place where, you know, you can drive like 30 minutes in each direction. Like you could probably reach the snow in an hour. You can go to the beach in an hour. Um, but I, but I grew up, you know, for several years in Santa Fe and I certainly appreciate like the city and the landscape and the history of it. And, uh, it's a really beautiful, you know, they don't call New Mexico, uh, you know, like the enchanted land, like for nothing. Um, the next one I have is Lords of Dogtown or uh, Dogtown and the Boys. Oh, man. Uh, I'm going to go Lords of Dogtown just because that's the one that I'm in. Um, as much as I love the documentary, like uh, the the movie was so much fun to make. So I think like if I were to watch one again, like I would probably want to watch that just because it's like getting to like sort of see the like you know, the documentary is cool, but it's like you watch the documentary and you want to see the scenes with the guys, you know? I mean, the documentary is amazing. Stacey Peralta did an incredible job. And there's nothing that can compare to, like, watching the actual guys. Uh, well, Emil, uh, it's been wonderful chatting with you. Thanks for taking time and best, best wishes with the album and with the movie Sun. Thank you, Patrick. I want to thank Emil for chatting with me, and I want to thank you for listening. You can currently watch Sun in theaters or through video-on-demand services like Amazon Prime Video and iTunes. Please take a moment and subscribe to I'm So Obsessed on your favorite podcast app. And if you really like today's episode, please rate it. Until next time, take care.